0: Welcome to the Dog Trainers Podcast, a podcast created by dog trainers, for dog trainers, or anyone who's ever fallen in love with man's best friend.
1: Episode 25, Dealing with Clients and Crate Training. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Dog Trainers Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. My name is Mariano and that's Brent. And uh, before we start here, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to some of our awesome listeners because we've noticed we've been getting a lot of love in Portland, Oregon, Anchorage, Alaska, of course, beautiful Los Angeles, Columbus, Ohio, as well as people abroad. We've got a lot of listeners in Canada, Australia, Germany, Ecuador, Panama. And we just want to thank you guys and let you know that we appreciate you and we're keeping up on you and we hope that we're bringing you as much value as humanly possible. Now for everyone else, if you want to reach out to us, you can do so by reaching out to us at Dog Trainers Podcast. That's all one word. That goes for Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, as well as all major podcast platforms. With that, let's dive in. This is episode 25, Dealing with Clients When It Comes to Crate Training. How you doing, bud? I'm
0: doing great, man. How are you doing, Mariano?
1: Pretty good, pretty good. You want to set things
0: off? Yeah, let's set things off. Well, again, as Mariano said, guys, thank you guys for listening. And today, we're talking about a really, uh, a really great topic because... Um, you know, every time we deal with, uh, with it, with a younger dog trainer or someone who's asking us questions, we always run into obstacles around the concept of crate training. Um, now we got so much love from our last episode dealing with clients, uh, with aggressive dogs. Like we, we literally have the most downloads of an episode in the shortest amount of time that we've ever gotten before. Um, so someone is finding value on this. Someone is sharing it. If you guys haven't checked it out yet, go ahead and check it out. It's episode 24. Um, so we decided to come back with a dealing with clients about crate training, right? Because as, as you know, as dog trainers, you guys know that sometimes we can get a lot of pushback. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to clients right away. Um, even though we know as professionals that creating your dog or confinement training, your dog has huge value that sometimes is hard to explain um, to, uh, to clients. So we're going to do our best to teach you guys kind of how we deal with this before, um, how we deal with it during and how we deal with this after.
1: Yeah. And before we dive in, can I just say that I think you're absolutely right about that. So I have a friend, you know, again, for those of you who may not know, I live in Arizona in, in like the Phoenix area and it be hot as hell around here. So (laughs) it's currently, too hot to just take dogs outside. So when I want to work dogs and they're good enough, I take them inside like Petco, Home Depot, stuff like that. So I end up going to the Petco a lot because I just work dogs there. Mm -hmm. And I know one of the trainers there is a real nice guy. And we were talking about this the other day. And I'm honestly kind of amazed how many people have a hard time with the crate. Like a lot of training tools. I I get it. I get the reluctance of an e-collar. I get the reluctance of like a prong collar, a star mark. But a crate, you know, even though I know there are some people out there, obviously, who take issue with it. I guess I just really underestimated the sheer amount of people that have a hard time with it. You know, maybe it's just me. But yeah, I mean, with that being said, we wanted to start talking about why people tend to feel bad, what that is, and just when it comes to dealing with clients, how can you go about getting them to understand that it's, it's insanely beneficial for the dog in so many ways? yeah
0: yeah and i think uh, just as we approach anything as we approach anything that is emotionally controversial for clients i think it's really important for us as dog trainers to have as much empathy and as much compassion for the situation that they're in if we can't put ourselves in the owner's shoes it's going to be really really hard to connect Uh, my dad's a physician and i remember when i was a kid i used to go help him at his office and he always had a sign right above his computer where he worked, and the sign read, uh, people don't care how much you know until they so know they how know much, how you, much know. you care. Exactly, until yeah. they know how much you care. And so this has always kind of been a like, a like a revolving mantra in my head. So when dealing with clients with really sensitive subjects, it's important for us to really dive into how people feel, why they feel that way, so that we can connect with it and help kind of guide them towards the right direction because we know as trainers it's going to help benefit them And their dog's psychological states uh, tremendously. All right. Uh, So let's go into it. Why do clients feel bad,
1: Mariano? I think, you know, a a big thing of why clients feel bad from my experience is they tend to think of it like it's jail. They tend to think of it like the dog sees it as a bad thing. And it's, Mm -hmm. I've actually gotten a lot of calls about exactly this in like the past couple of days. So this has just been on my brain lately anyway. And, you know, a lot of the words that they use are extremely telling. I think when we talk about any episode that we do when it comes to dealing with clients, I I would really encourage people to pay attention to the words that clients use, like how they describe something. And so they'd be like, you know, he was being bad, so I put him in his crate or, you know, or like I feel bad because I feel like, like I just rescued him and I don't want him to feel like I'm abandoning him. I don't want him to feel like he's back in a kennel in a shelter and a this and a Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And so I've noticed that Lately, what I've been getting a lot of is younger puppies and the owners feel bad because naturally puppies, of course, want to be with you all the time. And so they'll whine, True. you know, and they're like, well, he's just, he's sad. He misses me. He, you know, I don't want him to feel like I don't love him. I don't want him to like have this estranged relationship with me. You right. Know?
0: Right. hundred um, percent. Yeah. Uh, other things also that we see is a lot of times with dog owners, they may this may be their first puppy, right? Like I think one of my biggest audiences at my age and my profession, um, and also just being a millennial are other millennials who this is their first dog as an adult, right? Mm-hmm. And also another thing that we see is a lot of people come from homes uh with yards, with dogs, right? So so many times we hear this story where you go, Yeah, I had dogs when I was a kid. Uh, you know, we had a yard or we lived on a ranch or we lived on a farm or we just lived in the suburbs and the dog lived outside or had a dog run or whatever it was. Um, And so sometimes they, they, you know, as a, as a young person getting a dog for the first time, maybe starting a new family um, you know, we have this, this schematic in our head of like dogs deserve space. Dogs deserve freedom. Dogs are happiest when they have a lot of room because this is ultimately what we experienced when we were kids. Right. Right. So naturally, the thought of creating our dogs or or isolating them in general doesn't make sense. Um, And so it's our job as uh, as dog trainers to teach them how development works and how how we can develop like long term strategies to make it so that your dog can eventually have more freedom in the house um, and so that we can kind of work closer and closer. Now, me specifically in L.A., we deal with a lot of people who aren't from LA who moved to LA from maybe the Midwest, the East mm-hmm. coast. Um, and so I hear the story a lot. These dogs had their dogs growing up, had a lot of space. Um, and so especially during COVID we're getting a lot of people who now that they say, okay, now I have a lot of time, um, I'm going to get a puppy, but I want my puppy to have freedom, right? Because how else is my puppy going to learn to have freedom unless I give them freedom. This is what makes sense in their heads. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, So we're starting to see uh, this and also what happens is in LA, we see that a lot of people live in apartments, condos, like they live in very, very close quarters to other people, right? I actually, I I worked in West LA for 10 years and then I actually live in the Valley and even, even just over like down the freeway a little bit, 20 minutes, we see a huge culture difference, right? Mm -hmm. People in West LA. Um, live in apartments they ha- they have to walk their dogs to go poop and pee. Um, you know they, in essence, they're more confined naturally versus people in the valley. They have uh, yards and their dogs go on hikes and hiking trails regularly. so it's a little bit different lifestyle. However, there are places for crates in different stages of the development and different lifestyles that people live. Um, And our job is to kind of explain that to
1: them. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's a big thing that interests me when it comes to crate training is the issues that can arise if you don't crate train a dog. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we were drafting up this episode, you know, kind of like last time we talked about, like, we love to to draft things out and make sure that we can really maximize like value for people. So, of course, puppies. I mean, what's a more prime candidate for crate training than a puppy for all the reasons Mm -hmm. that we'll get into? But also there are dogs with some more serious stuff going on. There are dogs who have like severe separation anxiety, dogs mm-hmm. that can be reactive to strangers in the house, you know, mm-hmm. dogs that can be fighting with other dogs in the house. There, there's so many reasons why crate training is a hugely viable option, especially L.A. Because I lived in L.A. too. I'm from L.A. You know, I just I recently moved. But mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with you that there are a ton of people that aren't from there. And there are also a ton of people that just by the nature of LA, you know, people work hard, stuff is expensive, including rent and so on. So I found a lot of like roommate situations of, you know, younger people, two, three people in like a three bedroom apartment, mm-hmm. um, both, you know, all of them, younger people, all of them, because they're younger, like totally believe in like, we should rescue dogs and save them. And that, which is great, you know, so they adopt the like quote unquote unadoptables, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the big, pity shepherd mix the big, you know, whatever, whatever mix. Yeah. And the one, the one missing an eye, the one, yeah, missing <laughs> right, right, right. But, but then, but, but when we kind of get back into the whole, like why people feel bad, I find this mm-hmm. a lot. People mm-hmm. with rescue dogs, especially when it comes to crating and or correcting in any sort of form, they love to make up backstories for the dog that make excuses as to why they don't crate them. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you know, I adopted him. I, I don't want him to feel bad. I, I, you know, I don't want to like hurt his you know like they have this idea of like i need to shield this dog from any sort of negativity including the crate and i'm like i i can understand where you're coming from except that Mm -hmm. your dog just went after your roommate which is why you called me here today yeah exactly and you know and i'm like you have to understand just how much benefit could come from crate training your dog not just crating your dog crate Mm -hmm. training your dog and i think that you know i want to hear you riff a little bit about like the difference there, because I think that that's a big failing in, in trainers that I notice a lot, like trainers don't always have the words to explain the difference. It's like, you don't just put the dog away. There's so much more benefit to it. And there's so much more active work that you do to, to really gain from the crate.
0: Yeah. 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 I think so. Crate crate training. Like those dog trainers who have been doing this for a couple of years or a lot of years, there are things that we know the crate provides benefit and, Um, And I'll just kind of I'll just do a little checklist, right? Um, so we know that like in puppy raising that that crating is great for routine development, right? So what's the easiest way to teach a puppy the right behaviors is to control how much freedom that they have, right? So it's easier for me to teach a dog to eat all his food if I feed him in the crate. It's easier for me to teach a dog to chew on a bone and not get distracted if I feed him in the crate. It's easier for me to teach the dog to relax in a passive form if I crate him any time after activities, mm-hmm. right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also easier for me to make sure my dog's not chewing or destroying anything if my dog is confined or crated, be it in a puppy pen, a crate, a laundry room, a kitchen, doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but isolation in general is how we teach dogs to not develop bad habits, right? Every dog mm-hmm. trainer agrees on this, mm-hmm. right? Um, however, we also know that there's different types of people out there. There's different types of personalities. There's different types of puppies who create training or confinement work might be a little bit more difficult uh, than others, right? Um, let's say for the rescue dog, for example. Um, I hear this story a lot. I hear, um, you know, as you mentioned, people might come up with with uh, embellished stories of rescues. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might say like, oh, the dog was caged in a rescue for 10 years, or he was in a kennel for, or not 10 years, like, like a year or six months. Um, or they'll say something like, The last owner would keep this dog in the crate all day, Mm -hmm. and I don't want to do that to this dog, right? And so an interesting thing just on that subject, if the dog has been in the crate all day since he was a puppy and you rescue that dog, that actually tells me that that dog's actually really used to the crate, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, uh, ver- you know, and you know, just on a, on a separate note, I kind of, I kind of blame those Sarah McLaughlin videos, you know, the, 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 the ASP videos. Yes. The one that was like in the eyes of an angel, the dog is like. And he's just like panting in slow motion. So I kind of blame those because those do really leave an imprint on our brains um, because, you know, we see the sadness or we see these dogs caged up or locked up in a kennel. And it just, it does this emotional thing, right? Yeah. It's really, It's really easy to kind of, um, you know, relay our own, like empathize a little too much with those dogs in that scenario, which is a fucked up scenario. They were they're they're caged up in bad in bad environments. But when you're, you know, in a crate in an air-conditioned, uh, beautiful, you know, a thousand foot apart thousand square foot apartment with beautiful furniture and loving
1: owners, it's a very
0: different story.
1: Yeah. And you know, and, and you touched on something actually that I'm glad you brought up because it kind of jogged my memory to a really interesting point. Because you're right, those videos are sad, but it's the magic of editing. It's not that the dogs are sad, you know, mm-hmm, and like, mm-hmm. of course, with like music and slow mo. And so, you know, that's like, even when I watched a straight up movie movies, like I'm a big horror movie fan. And John Carpenter was like, yo, Halloween sucked until we put the the piano sound on it. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm.
1: it was like the best horror movie ever, you know, so mm-hmm. I, I only bring that up to say. You know, like we say it jokingly, but don't let owners feel bad because of that kind of thing. You know, Mm -hmm. those dogs Mm -hmm. were in messed up situations in a loving home with a loving parent. Crate training has a ton of value and the crate itself doesn't have a negative connotation or it shouldn't. But, you know, if you if you make it look sad, you can probably make anything look sad. Yeah. And then the other thing was just, you know, we were talking about puppies and all the benefit and stuff of crate training there, you know, which I totally agree with all of it. Like the whole, you know, the potty training, the crate training, chew training. Um, But then we talk about dogs that maybe like those ASPCA dogs that already might have a certain set of issues and things that they need to work on. Mm -hmm. There's other benefits, a lot of which I talked about, like in a blog post that I did a couple of years back, that's on my website. That was, you know, like you said, people kind of over, and like personify the dogs, which mm-hmm. I guess they did for a commercial, but in real life they do it a lot, and it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. benefit the dog. And I think of dogs like, uh, you know, I've had a couple clients, and I know you have two that let's say mm-hmm. their dog has so much separation anxiety that they bust out of a window, a glass window of the house, or they, yeah, you know, true. I think of uh, Brent and I trained a dog named Taco. Shout out to Ronnie and Doug. Who, What's up? Who was so anxious. Uh, That she would not only bend her way out of the crate, but then eat her way out of the room of their new house Mm -hmm. and then like sometimes get out. And even if she didn't get out of the house, chewing on all kinds of drywall and stuff can't be good for the dogs. And, you know, there's no not at all. There's just so much opportunity there from a trainer's perspective when dealing with a client to, to help them understand. It doesn't do the dog any good to. Over personify them. They, you know, they, I know they're your babies and everything, but they are not like actual babies. They're dogs, and they need things that dogs need. And it's your job as an owner to set your own emotions aside in order to give them what they actually need from you. That's what a good parent does. Right. Hundred percent. Hundred percent.
0: Now, it's 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 my opinion, and Mariano Mayer may may disagree with this. It's always my opinion that there are certain types of dogs and client combinations that we could recommend, you know, the, the crate may or may not be the most viable option for them. Right. Um, and the reason I say the dog and client combination is sometimes there's been situations in my career where I've recommended a crate Mm -hmm. and I've also tried to sell a client on it. And that particular client, um, that particular client, the way that they are and the way that the dog is trying to force a crate an actual like cage crate or like a, even a plastic crate might actually go, make us go backwards in training because there's so much opposition and so much fight. And, you know, unless I live there with a the dog, like me as a trainer, I know I can train a dog in a crate, mm-hmm. uh, within a couple days. Right. Mm-hmm. However, when I'm teaching people to do it on their own, sometimes I feel I have to start with the, with, with maybe a plan B or a plan C, which is just isolation in general right? So there might be some situations where I teach people, okay, put a baby gate in your kitchen and that's your dog's quote, 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 crate or den, right? Or Mm -hmm. is there a baby gate in your laundry room? That's your dog's crate or den. Uh, Sometimes the guest bathroom, sometimes uh, a puppy pen might suffice. The idea here is once I get the dogs or the owners on board with this idea of isolation, and they actually see that the dog, can survive isolation right not whining not barking not crying and actually somewhat enjoys it then i find a window opens up later where i can actually recommend the crate for certain activities like chew training or uh you know teaching of anxious dog to relax better you know so there's so many other windows that might open up again just a different approach it's not necessarily the majority that i do this with Um, but for those clients where there's just lots and lots of friction, sometimes we got to get them to get on board with this idea of isolation first. Once we have that, then the way we teach them the context in which they could use a crate. That's just my approach personally.
1: Yeah. I I don't disagree with you. I I think my only caveat to that, which isn't even like a disagreement, it's just a, like, keep this in mind Mm -hmm. is I had a couple clients. I'm actually finding there's a ton of Carolina dogs out here in Arizona, um, Mm. And and I don't I don't know if that's and if for people who don't know a Carolina dog is a, a certain breed of dog that kind of like it it falls into a weird category kind of like uh, Basenji kind of like dogs that I mean obviously they're a dogs dingo. a dingo a dingo that mm-hmm. that have spent so much time undomesticated that they're like quite different from other dogs you know there's something that's observable that's something that people have written about with with these like particular breeds and I had I had two Carolina dogs recently one was a board and train one was a private lesson client. And both of the dogs had a real tough time in the crate. And Mm -hmm. one of them, the private lesson client, the owner wanted to start um, uh, using the laundry room, Mm -hmm. which I was prepared to not have a problem with until I saw the laundry room. And I realized, like, for whatever reason, the water heater is also in there and there's like a sink and a window and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, hmm.
0: he's he going to get out.
1: <laughs> yeah, because this dog, he was crating yeah. him, by the way. But the dog was bending his way out of the crate, jumping over the X pen that was around the crate mm-hmm. and then doing stupid things. Like the dog, for whatever reason, had like a fetish for eating literal cactuses that that my client had, like actual <laughs> small cactuses in a pot. And he would eat the whole thing. And like two or three surgeries later, you know, we looked <laughs> oh, into man. training. So so I was like, OK, man, look. This is what I would do. I wouldn't use the laundry room only because I'm afraid the dog's going to get out or chew on like a really hot copper pipe or something, spill some freaking steam in his face, you know? Um, So instead, I got him to buy himself one of those like tubular steel, like 70 pound crates, you know? Those tiger crates. Yeah, those tiger. I have one for Zeus too. And, Uh um, you know, and he did a lot better because what I have noticed, actually, and this this is a previous dog, but I'll stick to this current dog. Um, What I have noticed is dogs that have issues relaxing in the crate who like grab the crate with their mouth and kind of pull it inside in order to bend it and get out. Mm-hmm. When they try that with the heavy duty crate and they realize it ain't moving real quick, they actually let it go. Yeah, I think it's because they're discouraged because the crate ain't going anywhere. And like, exactly. They can't you know, manipulate it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so they don't even like bother it to that same extent. Oh, and by the way, the Carolina dog that I board and trained, uh, I recommended the exact same crate because the dog had the exact same issue. Um, mm-hmm. he bent one of my crates like to hell. And, you know, and I was like, Yeah, man, for his own safety, you should really consider one of these. And I explained that whole thing because of course the owner was nervous about creating him for that exact reason, which is why they never created him. Cause they tried when the puppy was young and he was already bending out like at you know, five, six months old. Right. Um, but yeah, man, I just I just wanted to throw that out there as a little caveat of like, I totally agree that it doesn't have to be a crate necessarily. Confinement right. work is right. very beneficial for training overall, you know. Um especially with COVID. We've talked about that in the past because everybody's right. home all the time. Right. But if the dog is that much of a flight risk, get yourself a confined crate for the dog's own safety. Right. Right. hundred um, percent.
0: I want to try and introduce this and I want to see if this has any value for anybody. So when I was, when I was a younger trainer, one of my, one of my managers was guiding me through different types of customers. Um, and different, uh, you know, and and when you're learning things, I I like to put things in profiles because it helps me kind of understand things a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, And one thing I learned was four general types of profiles. I mean, I'm sure there's five or six or seven, uh, but what I've noticed through my career is that certain, certain clients fall into one of these four or sometimes are a combination of the two. Right. And one of the first ones that we run into um, is a dog who, or not a dog, a client that we call the relator. Right. This is a very compassionate, empathetic, emotional, uh, loving client who wants the best for their dog. Right. It's, it's these types of clients that we tend to see a lot of pushback from crate training. Right, Because mm-hmm. any anything that leads to the dog's discomfort or misery or, or perceived misery, this is what we're going to see a lot of pushback or, or lack of cooperation with clients. Uh, then we have a client that we call the socializer. And the socializers have a tendency of being very um, experience-oriented, meaning they want to make sure it's a good time. They want to make sure the dog's having fun or the dog's enjoying it or that the dog is – um, you know, that, that the dog is, is having a good experience, right? They're experience-oriented, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then we have two more. We have uh, what we call the thinker, or this is a person that doesn't do anything unless it logically makes sense to them. It needs to logically make sense, like bullet points, you know, I need to, to kind of evaluate risk over reward, and I need to, it needs to make sense to me. And the way that we explain and teach things to that thinker, um it needs to make logical sense so they don't necessarily care about how much fun the dog's going to have they care about what's my risk what's my reward and what's going to make sense and then the last one that i was taught was something called the director and this is an efficiency based type person, a person who wants things done quick. They want things done efficiently. They want things done right away and they want things done, you know, some unfortunately sometimes at the, at the best deal, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so even though we could say like clients sometimes have a little bit of both, there's one element of each of these profiles that kind of help guide my teaching with certain clients. Mm so for example, we'll talk, we can also split this up into two categories. The socializer and the relator are kind of more the emotional clients. Uh, they're really feeling based and experience based. And then the other ones are more logical um, and, um, and like results driven type clients, okay. okay? And so what I wanna kind of explain to you or explain to the everybody is I wanna, I wanna talk about how we approach different types of clients when it comes to crate training, because I think this could help some of you guys maybe uh, find a, find a different approach. Um, or if you're able to kind of see these characteristics in clients, like how we can help them get on board, because the reality of it is, we know crate training can help all four of these types of clients and help their dogs. However, how we get people on board, we really have to connect with what drives them inside. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's go ahead and and just do a a couple of points, right? So if I was gonna prompt uh, Mariano, let's say we were dealing with this relator client, this emotional, loving, compassionate, empathetic type client. What are some points that you would help explain to them um, to help them get on board with at least the idea of creating?
1: Yeah, this is something that I've been dealing with again just in the past couple of days. And it's what I do a lot for relators but also for other people but i'll stick to relators for now is i find it very effective to say what they aren't saying but i know they're thinking like an the exa- elephant in the room yeah. exactly yeah, right. an yeah. example being this i uh, just had a board and trained dog go home maybe a week ago like eight nine days ago um his name was mac and his mom is a real you know real sweet person and you know and had a hard time just kind of being firm with him in general okay mm-hmm. so mm-hmm the way that I would approach her with things would be like, you know, I'm talking her through something an exercise or another and just based on her face and she's real polite and real attentive and she's just like "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm," listening to me and you know, she's a great client. And I would just be like, listen, you know, I can see that this makes you uncomfortable. And, Mm -hmm. and I just, and I just open up the, and she's like, yeah, it's just blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, it's totally valid. I want to hear your concerns. I want to know where you're at. It's important that we're on the same page here and I don't want you to feel embarrassed to feel this way. It's important that I know what you're thinking. So Mm -hmm. I'll I'll, I'll call it out. And then that just that opens up the opportunity for them to air their their side. And I'm like, yeah, I I totally hear you. But when it comes to relators, my way to get them on board to make it logically and, and emotionally make sense to them is I tell them because they're relators and they're feelers, I put them in the role where they feel like nurturing. I'm like, listen, this dog is, you know, you're his mom, he needs Mm -hmm. you, he needs your guidance, he needs your help, Mm -hmm. he's stuck, he's whatever, he's nervous, he's like, depending on what the issues are with the dog, and this is how you can help him, and I understand that it's hard for you, I totally get that, and we can talk about that, but I need you to understand what he needs from you is this, this, and this, you're not mm-hmm. bad mom because you create your dog. You are good mom because you're giving your dog what he needs and you're setting yourself aside to do it. In my book, that's a win. And they typically that will that will kind of ease them up a little bit, you know, Um, and, and from there, they at least jump on board enough to try it out for a bit, at which point the benefit starts kind of seeping through because, you know, mm-hmm. we'll get into it in the during, but crate training is not really something I do just on its own like it's typically in the context of otherwise overall training. Right. So the, the benefit starts to steamroll from everything else. And then once they see the benefit, then emotionally it makes even more sense because they're like, "Oh my god, my dog actually does enjoy this. This is actually good for him." Mm-hmm. I'm going to save you, buddy." And like and, and their emotion kicks mm-hmm. in, you know, and they're like superhero time.
0: Yeah. No, 100%. I, I that was that was I was actually so captivated by that explanation that I think it's 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 for the young dog trainer who's learning Remember, that's called the relator because you have to relate to them. Mm. They have to know. This is where that quote we mentioned earlier, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They need to know that you are on their side and that you care about the overall better good of the situation, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so what I, I would add on to that just a little bit, like uh, everything you said, a hundred percent, and I've actually seen you do that in person. And it's amazing how you can get someone you can stay strong and you can really connect with someone's opinion and then just kind of help shift it over. So that's mm-hmm. really awesome. Um, also, what I think I, I would I would want to do, it's my job as a professional to kind of educate them on what could go wrong in the future mm, with the type of with the type of dog that we have. Because mm-hmm. remember, if you love your dog, you don't want your dog to be a mama's boy. You don't want your dog to be insecure. You don't want your dog to be codependent. You don't want your dog. You want to have a happy, confident dog who can entertain himself when you're away, who doesn't have separation anxiety. So you want these things, don't you? Right? And so I would always kind of tell them what the long-term goal is downstream. So that way the feeling connects. It's not just about captivating them in that moment with relating to them, but it's also letting them know, trust me. I will hold your hand through this and I will help you through the dark times. But as soon as these people, as you said, see that the dog is liking it and the Mm -hmm. dog's enjoying it and the dog's not fighting it, all of a sudden they become lovers of crates. And I would say that this happens with e-collars and prong collars and choke chains and (laughs) everything else as well. Um, But yeah, as soon as they see the dog doesn't hate it, automatically we start seeing it.
1: Oh, dude, that's an excellent point. Yeah, absolutely. The long term, like the the why, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of what I mean when it's like get them on board because it's good for the dog, and then yeah. it, you you expand on that, you know. And mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. but but absolutely, that that's a that's a huge point to bring up. You know, tr- trainers pay attention to that right there. Um, yeah, I mean, and two, like you talked about when it comes to other tools and stuff like that, you know, people once they see the benefit, then they get it. Another like little quick side note, and then we'll kind of start diving into the during is. Or the socializer. We need to do the socializer too. Oh, okay. The other profiles. All right. Well, let's do that too then. Well, well, before before we dive into that, let me just say really quick that, you know, a lot of times when the the more like feeling type of person has a hard time with it, and I keep note of this, they air their grievance because you give them the the opportunity to do so. Mm -hmm. And they, of course, express, you know, the dog, he seems uncomfortable. He seems this, he seems that, or like when I create him, he blah, 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 you know? And I think it's worth mentioning and, and shout out to Sean O'Shea, who, who kind of gave me this idea. If the dog is having this issue, that issue, because it's obviously not like I've never met a dog who came for training just because he wasn't crate trained. Mm-hmm. Like if he was mm-hmm. otherwise perfect, true. they wouldn't even care. Right. So. Yeah, true. So in the in the overall view of the dog and their issues and so on. I would explain to people like, you have to understand whatever negative association, whatever fear, whatever reactivity, you know, that, that you're afraid of with the crate, that stuff is already there. It already exists. That's why you're here or that's why I'm here or that's why, you know, Mm -hmm. and so it's important that you understand because dogs can be lost. Sometimes they can be stuck on the wrong thing. They can have the absolute wrong idea of what's going on. Mm -hmm. He thinks right now that he doesn't want to be in the crate. But it's your job to show him. And once they get going, that's what I mean by like dogs let up really easy because, you know, dogs tend to do really well in the crate. They tend to enjoy their crates. They are den animals. They, you know, it makes total sense for them, but it doesn't make sense for them in the context of like, but I have to protect mom, but I have to protect dad, right, you know? Right, right, right. Totally. Um, this is a great point. Shout
0: out to Sean O'Shea. What's up, man? Um, All right. Moving on to the socializer. So again, for those of you guys uh, who are following along, the socializer is an experience oriented type client. These are usually really fun clients, really funny. They care about their dog having a good time, Mm -hmm. right? They understand, yeah, the dog might whine. They might be able to brush that off, but these are the people who are oriented on, I want to make sure my dog has fun, has a good time. So what are some things that you think we could tell clients uh, to help them, their dogs, quote unquote, have fun in the crate?
1: I tell them exactly that. I tell them if you want to maximize your dog's fun, your dog's freedom for the rest Mm -hmm. of their life, Mm -hmm. crate training is going to be a huge component to that. And that's another thing that I dove into in my blog post, which was it's our job as professionals to look at the big picture. So if your dog is whining in this moment, I get where it doesn't seem fun. But I explain to them, understand this, you know, so you work for, you know, XYZ and you leave town sometimes for work and, you know, you either board the dog or your neighbor watches the dog or whatever's going on in any of those scenarios solid crate training would make that dog's experience so much better when you're not home if you ever travel with your dog to family's house Mm -hmm. and there's like kids and other dogs and whatever crate training is going to make that experience so much better so much safer so much everything you know i go camping with my dogs all of them you know so i take crates it makes them safe i'm never worried that they're like gonna get out of the tent or something like that you know and it, it just opens up the dog's possibility you know it seems like you're confining and limiting but it's just to teach the dog a skill set when they're good. Because <laughs> again, in the overall context of training, mm-hmm. when they're good and they have this down pat with all of the benefit they're in, right. your dog's going to live such a huge life as compared to people who don't crate train their dogs because of the issues that can arise. Right? It's insane. So if you want your dog to have fun. Put him in the crate that's that's how right. i go about it
0: yeah no i love that i love that and so, and the uh, the only thing i would add to that is when we are teaching these types of people you know what kind of good experiences could the dog have in the crate well the crates where the dog chews on his bones man. right that's the that's where the dog chills and takes naps that's where the dog really learns to enjoy uh you know just doing nothing mm-hmm. right and, and there are certain puppies and certain dogs that don't know how to do nothing right and i think this idea of the crate can sometimes be a vacation. The crate can sometimes be a, you know, a play area for, or a chew area or a hang area or ch- just a chill area for the dog. What we have started to know through the years is like this approach with this type of client helps them kind of buy buy into it a little bit. Also, also really showing how much more free time the people will have. Right. So when your dog's chilling and resting, the owner, the client can actually go take a shower, go to the store, go get to do all these things and have a life again. Right. Because again, they're experience oriented people, not just for the dog, but they're also experience oriented for themselves. So when right. I'm able to teach these types of people, crate training, your dog will also free up time for you to allow you to do the things that you want to do. I see that I get more success getting people on board in this scenario. Right.
1: Right. You know, I totally agree with you. And I think that I think that uh, an element that, that you kind of jogged my memory on with that is you were talking about people who also appreciate just efficiency in general. Mm-hmm. And that really strikes me as something worth mentioning because I have clients who, I mean, not only, and they're definitely more these type of people. It's not that they feel bad for the crate. It's just like, you know, how do you manage this, that, and the other thing when you have kids and you work and so on, right? So mm-hmm. I would tell them it's so easy Because whether it's a puppy or not, the puppy rules sort of apply to older dogs when it comes to crate training and the benefit. And what I I mean by that is you dictate when the dog is excited. You dictate when the dog is relaxed. You dictate when the dog eats Mm -hmm. and drinks and sleeps. And and so you can form a dog's routine around your own. Mm -hmm. An example being I have a client right now. She's a nurse. So she works like long days, but like four or five days a week or, you know, Mm -hmm. four days a week, three or four, something like that. Um, dad works from home though. And the kids are currently home cause COVID. Right. And so we were talking about like the routine can be so easy. I know your day is hectic, mm-hmm. but why don't we do this? Dog sleeps in the crate overnight, get him up in the morning, go throw him in his little potty area outside, you know, bring him in, feed him inside the crate while you get ready for work. Take him out one more time. You're gone. Text the kids, you know, at this time to get him out. Like, and it just makes stuff easy.
0: Mm-hmm, you know, and sure.
1: And, and it, it makes it efficient for her because she also has a life. She visits her friends. She works out. She does her whole thing. So when you know where the dog is, you're mitigating any risk. You're making sure that the dog like risk aside isn't developing any bad habits, isn't doing anything they shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's simple. I, I tell people all the time, kind of like when you're training a dog in general, like healing a dog versus just walking a dog like while they're pulling you. Mm-hmm. It sounds like more work, but it's really not like crate training right. a dog and keeping a routine is so effortless. And once you get rolling, it's like driving a car. You just don't have to think about all the moving parts anymore. And it's just right. easier than not doing it.
0: Right. Totally. Totally. Um, and I think that you were kind of talking about some of the last two types of clients, the 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 thinkers, the logic based. Right. Right. And you're talking about some of the directors, which are the more efficiency and results based client. Right. Right. I think I think there's always two sides is there's there's always a side in, in, in explaining crate training where we have to focus on how the dog's not going to hate it. That's number one. The second one is how it's going to open up a lot of opportunities for the family um, and, and, and for the person and how it's going to open up time and how it's going to really help make things efficient, make sense. Um, and, and we want people to see the step-by-step playbook of crate training so that they can see over the long term how eventually it's going to get them to that dog that they want of several months from now. Right. right, Um, and that's m- from the psychological standpoint. You know, with our relators and our and our and our uh, social social clients, they are really focused on the state of mind and the emotional state of the dog. Um, and the other ones, they want to make sure that they're doing things that are efficient and effective for their
1: lifestyle. Correct. Yeah, I guess so the that- way that I would word it would just be for the more efficiency based people. I want to make it so that they can actually see themselves doing it. I feel like that that really increases the possibility of them actually sticking with it. Yeah.
0: All right, guys. So now let's go ahead and dive into the during crate training. Um, it's, it's while people attempt crate training that we start seeing uh, a couple obstacles might come our way, right? Some of them could be uh, whining. I probably That's probably the biggest one. Anxiety, right? Um, if the dog has accidents in the crate, that's going to be a big one. Um, what else, what else? Also, if we see that dogs, um, hate, hate going in, right. If a dog shows an opposition, like if you try and guide the dog into the crate and the dog is like, no, don't put me in there. Usually, yeah. Usually these are going to be some of the main reasons why people don't want to actually continue with crate training because they think they're doing something the dog doesn't like. Right. And I remember being a kid, like I didn't like taking a shower. I didn't like brushing my teeth. I didn't like eating my vegetables. Ah, uh, but there are certain things that after you do them, after a while, you get habituated to them, and you just kind of do them, and they become normal, acceptable, and sometimes desirable habits, right? Um, so yeah, so let's go ahead. Any any other ones that you could think of, Mariano?
1: Um, no, I mean you're basically hitting the nail on the head. I mean, other than the extreme stuff, you know, dogs bending their way out, dogs eating things they mm-hmm. shouldn't be doing, dogs breaking windows and hurting themselves. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things that that you can expect that would be huge reasons as to why people don't, or, or huge reasons as to why people should. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think, yeah, the, the breaking out of the crate is a really good, yeah. <laughs> a good one. I've, I've, it's so funny cause I've met dogs who escape out of the crate without opening the door.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, and it's crazy. And the only way you can really find out how dogs are doing it is on a video. video camera on, yeah. yeah putting a video camera on them is it just um, me
1: or do you find that normally they they escape out of the bottom two slats where the where the crate pan comes out like two? no no really yeah you've never seen that between the door and the bottom slat. you know how like the the way that the crates work the metal folding crates is the the pan has like that little latch in the beginning in the in the front at the beginning in the front of it that holds it in place okay and if you take that off then the pan just slides out yeah. I saw a video where it was a big. It was a boxer, and he slid out of that out of the like if you, as if he was the crate pan. He slid out of that space, so he obviously like opened he it, bent it, yeah. But 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 the it. thing is, but it really didn't bend. Like it it bent around him, but as soon as he was out, it falls right back into place. Whoa! So and the owners were like, "Yeah, I recorded it because the crate looks normal when he's done." So they're like, "How the how how did you get out of there?" You know? Oh my gosh! Yeah, I've always seen
0: through the corner, through the corner seam. You know, they squeeze mm. out of the corner. Okay. Yeah but anyways, yeah, that's, it's crazy. So this is, these are things that happen. So like, during crate training, if we have clients that kind of, kind of do the, or like they, they, they tell us these stories, um, well, I guess what are some solutions? What are some solutions that we could do?
1: Yeah. Well, here, here are a couple of solutions. And I would say in general, just in general, I know that this can't work for everybody. In fact, we just spoke with a couple friends from Ecuador who were having this issue and were asking us how to, how to help, If a dog has like severe anxiety or something like that, Mm -hmm. uh, a board and train might be best. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's a puppy, obviously we can talk about like privates and really there's a lot of dogs. Private lessons are, are, you know, largely viable for like the majority of dogs, but I'm talking the extreme case. Mm -hmm. What we can do is we can really encourage people to look into a board and train program or at the very Mm -hmm. least we can do our best to help them understand. Listen, I know that your dog it has like a severe anxiety issue that's 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 already a given crate or no crate so Mm -hmm. really try to keep things in perspective when your dog is whining and or trying to paw at it or whatever the case this is an overall issue and the answer is bigger than just crate your dog this is going to take some training some this some that and and really help them understand that it's it's an overall thing right 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 right
0: um if we're going to talk about like how we deal with whining and anxiety in the crate. Mm -hmm. Uh, what are some tips that you, some troubleshooting tips that you would have?
1: Okay. So if we're talking about, uh, I'm going to separate whining and anxiety, I'm going to separate whining as to like a puppy who doesn't know better. And I'm going to separate anxiety as to like a pretty high anxiety dog. Is that okay? Okay. Sure. Okay. So if you have a puppy who's whining, you could consider something as simple as Brent taught me this neat little trick. You know, everybody knows like you get the Kong, you put peanut butter in the Kong, freeze it and all that. But peanut butter isn't always the best for the dog and it can be fattening and it can be all kinds of stuff. Brent Mm -hmm. taught me this thing, which I thought was pretty cool. It was actually when I went with him to a client in LA um, after I had moved. Um, He gets the Kong, takes the dog's own kibble, puts it in a little bit of water for like 30 seconds, stuffs it inside the Kong before the kibbles have time to like expand. That way they expand inside the Kong and then freeze the whole thing. And then the dog has an ice cream cone made of their own kibble. No mm-hmm. peanut butter, no extra fattening mm-hmm. stuff, no messing up their their diet. Um, but if a puppy's whining in there, you know, throw the Kong and all that in there. Of course, barring all the other options, making sure the puppy's gone potty and everything else. Yeah. Um, and throw that in there and maybe even toss a little blanket or something over the crate to make it nice and dark. And that puppy's going to chew on that thing, get get himself full and mentally drained and mm-hmm. knock right out. It's a funny thing to see. It's like a baby with a pacifier. It's amazing yeah So something as easy as that or even if you don't do that something as easy as covering the crate um there are a lot of times there are a lot of really um there are a lot of really simple fixes and again this may sound super obvious but but do this though mm-hmm, mm-hmm. take the damn dog out before you like you know before you do anything else like if you're well, gonna... yeah
0: and that's and that's something that i was gonna say it's like like especially for puppies or, or even in general like um even in general just uh just even rescue dogs right exercising them right. before you put them in the crate both mentally and physically right you automatically have a better success rate and we know this as dog trainers however a lot of owners they're kind of just putting the dog in the crate when they're full of energy when they're acting up you know there's all these reasons that dogs might whine or have anxiety in the crate that we just really need to make sure that the owners in the conditioning process That they are doing it post mental and physical
1: stimulation. Well, let me say this. Let me put a little pressure on trainers. Yeah. Because I know that they know that. But like we talked about in previous episodes, sometimes they're not always comfortable telling that to the owner. They the owner expects like a quick fix, you know, like, you know. And then two, as as like quote unquote, you know, balance trainers out there, the answer to everything is not always just correct the dog. Right. You know, like, yes, definitely, I do correct dogs if they're whining and all that, like, you know, if barring like young puppies and whatever, whatever. But also before you get to that level or like before you you move on to that step rather Mm -hmm. make sure that the other hierarchy of things is taken care of if the dog hasn't gone potty in a couple hours i'm not going to correct him i'm going to take him outside and chances are when i put him back he's going to be quiet you know if you if you like have the time i mean obviously if the dog's whining like at midnight i don't expect you to exercise your dog but -hmm. if you like have time yeah take him out do a little something with him it's amazing what a little five minute lesson will do um, right. You know, like I think of 10 minutes, five minute food work, you know, a little two, three minutes outside, throw them outside just to make sure they just work. So they're probably going to poop and pee, throw them in the right. crate and it's utter silence. It's great. Um, yeah. Again, throw a blanket over it, stuff like that. But yeah, if it's like late at night and the dog is otherwise taken care of, they've gone potty, they're, they are older, they're otherwise trained and understand like what they're doing is being pushy, I'm okay mm-hmm. with giving a little correction, you know? So right. to get back into the, what you were asking me about, like an anxious dog, that's a different mm-hmm. story, right? Okay. So, That's a dog that's got a set of issues that goes beyond just crate training. So that dog, you have to be very careful and meticulous about how you approach that dog. Because I don't want him to freak out. I don't want to create a negative association with anything, you know, with a corrective tool, with the crate itself, with me as a person, with, you know, so... If I had a dog in a crate, let's say I have a high anxiety dog who's going to train with me and he got here like day one. Mm -hmm. What I've done in the past is in that case, if it's like that new, even if it's late at night, honestly, I'll just get them out and try to work with them a little bit. Mm -hmm. But now let's say we're like day seven and the dog's got a little bit of training under their chops, like crate aside, Mm -hmm. just obedience. Mm -hmm. What I've done is put a, uh, a tie-out, like an actual metal tie-out on the dog's uh, collar as, as a leash, like a regular leash, only he can't mm-hmm. chew through it because they try. Um, right. And if I'm going to start working obedience inside the crate, which I would hugely encourage people to do when working with anxious dogs, like asking for sits and downs from inside the crate,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I start doing that. And if the dog's stuck, let's say, like don't know what to do, like if I put a little leash pressure or e collar pressure or something, and the dog's just frozen because they're anxious in the crate, Mm-hmm. I find that pulling on the tie out leash pressure helps them like find the down position. Right. At which point all the different pressures go away and and so on. And, and, right. and what'd you do? Would you do foundational work outside the crate before putting them in? Oh, 100%. Like, yeah. Okay. Like like teaching them to go in and out. You mean? Yeah. Or our, our, our leash pressure in general. Right. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I crate them from the beginning, like just because we're talking overnight and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. I don't, but I don't like jump on top of them. Like I don't, I don't go about correcting them for being bad. Until right. I'm confident that they know the other way, you right. know, and I think that that's worth mentioning because we've we've had our gripes with, you know, like the quote unquote balanced training world before where it's like, listen, man, I obviously believe in e-callers. I obviously believe in other training methods and, and the power of a of a proper correction. But mm. you can't just slam away at a dog for doing any little thing that you might find annoying or whatever the case is. Trust me, right. it can be annoying when an anxious dog is whining right. and trying to get their way out of a crate. And it's like 3 a.m. and you have a right. client at six, you know, so. Right. Right. Um, You, you just kind of got to keep your cool and, and do what you got to do where you run through the checklist like, all right, he's being extra bad. I'm going to get him out, make sure he doesn't have to pee. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll work him a little bit, like even though it's three in the morning and my girlfriend's right. mad at me because I got up and got her up and, you know, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't really start putting much pressure on a dog in the crate until they're absolutely solid with that same pressure outside of the crate. Right on, right on, right on
0: um i want to kind of add to this a little bit and kind of approach it from a little bit different angle because you know if you guys go on youtube um you know or or read any books you know i think the crate training how to deal with whining and crate training there are certain things that aren't talked about often Mm -hmm. in crate training um and you know when i was a younger dog trainer i was taught you know if the dog is barking or whining you give them a correction just correct them for, for barking or whining. Uh, and what I've realized is, is yeah, it does work a high percentage of the time. If you give the dog a correction, be it on an e-collar or through a training collar through the, through the crate, um, sometimes like slapping the side of the crate to just kind of startle the dog and snap Mm -hmm. them out of the tantrum. Those things do work and there's scientific reasons why they do work. However, what I realized is I've also seen trainers take it overboard where every whimper or exhale oh, yeah. that the dog makes is that they, they correct that, right? It's like they're kind of almost trying to subdue the anxiety or the whining from, you know, from right away, right? Absolutely. And so I want to kind of give trainers a tool that, uh, that I've just kind of developed in my head over the, over the last couple of years. Um, and it's, it's, it's what I call capping a tantrum or capping yeah. anxiety. Right, And so it kind of works like this, right? So we all know that if you put a puppy in a crate, ideally in a perfect setup, I tire the dog out, I give the dog a a chewable distraction, and the dog just kind of pacifies and chews himself to sleep. This is a perfect scenario with a puppy or a rescue dog. However, if the dog is overly attached, codependent, has separation anxiety, all these things, what we start seeing is if we isolate the dog in a crate, we're going to see whimpering, "Mm, mm, mm," turn into grumbles, like Mm -hmm. turn into barks, turn into physical tantrums in the crate. And this could manifest itself. The dog spinning around, the dog is pushing against the crate. The dog is biting the wires of the crate and the Mm -hmm. door, right? And we start seeing this tantrum starts escalating from nothing all the way to the dog. You know, if we were to put words to it, he's like, "Get me the fuck out of here!" Right? And we can kind of see this tantrum can escalate, 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 escalate. And unfortunately, sometimes if you go online, some of the some of the things that our clients hear is like, "Just do I just let them like cry it out?" And right? It, right? Figure it out. And the answer is, fuck no! You right? Do right? Not right. you do not let the dog throw a level ten tantrum. And it's hope that eventually they get tired and snap out of it. So it's in these moments, and I want to be very, very clear with dog trainers, when your dog takes a tantrum to a physical, physical level, this is when corrections really are helpful. Mm -hmm. because this is where dogs can break their teeth. They can cut their paws on the crate. They can break nails. They can squeeze themselves through the bars and get stuck. It's in these moments where we see puppies can hurt themselves and rescue dogs can hurt themselves. So this is now where corrections come into play to let the dog know that's not going to go any further. Okay. But I want to explain kind of this schematic, as a tool so hopefully this guy is, this helps provide value for you guys teaching your own clients okay so what i like to do is i like to take the dog's reactions and i like to put them on a scale of 1 to 5 or 1 to 10 okay and let's say level 1 is damn near the dog's asleep 0 is obviously the dog's passed out and sleeping which is exactly what we want right. and level 10 is the dog is pushing and prying the bars open and trying to bite his way through the crate. That's what a level 10 is. Okay. What we want to do is we want to see where the dog goes consistently. So if I see that the dog escalates within two minutes from a level one to like a level five or six, which is the dog whining, barking, whimpering at a very high volume, right? What we have to do is we have to choose where on that scale do we apply a correction, Right, mm-hmm. so obviously, if I have a dog who, let's say, takes it all the way to the physical tantrum, the dog's freaking out. He starts grabbing the bars. Right, if I have an e collar on that dog, I only give the dog a correction when he tries to grab the bars.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Only that's the only time. Mm-hmm. If I have a if I have a training collar on that dog and a leash tied all the way through the collar to the crate, I only give the dog a correction when he tries to bite the bars. That's it. Okay. So what I'm doing is I'm interrupting the tantrum that he's throwing that might hurt himself. I'm saying you can whine, but you can't bite those bars. Mm-hmm. Sorry, mm-hmm. buddy. You can't do it. Now what ends up happening, the dog finds this kind of shocking. He goes, oh, what do you mean? I can't bite the bars. And he might try and bite the bars again. And you just keep capping that tantrum. You're not letting him escalate past that level eight tantrum or that level seven tantrum, right? And so when the dogs start physically trying to hurt themselves, we have to stop it. Now, what we start seeing is if we consistently cap at a level eight over and over and over, well, the dog can't go to level nine or 10 anymore. And what you start seeing is they start escalating to level seven, level six, level five right? Now, what you might see is the dog now is no longer physically trying to throw a tantrum, but he's still verbally, right? Freaking out. So now what we can do is we can apply a correction for the highest form of verbal tantrum Mm -hmm. and barking. Okay. And if you follow this, if you control the highest form of physical tantrum, and and then you control the highest form of verbal tantrum, what we're starting to do is little by little, we're teaching a step down process for the dog. And eventually, because we keep put, capping a ceiling on this tantrum scale, automatically the dog starts relaxing and, de- and kind of calming down and self-soothing because he knows he can't escalate. Right. Okay. Now this all falls under uh, something that I was taught, which is called sensory grounding. Right when the dog is in a, we've all seen in movies like a long time ago. Someone's asked acting hysterical in a movie, and what the person does is they slap them across the face, and they go, "Get a hold of yourself, man!" Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the person comes to and is like, "Oh, what happened? Oh, I was sorry. I was upset. I didn't understand." What happens is when the brain starts getting in this fight or flight state, the only way we can snap them out of it is sometimes bringing them back to their sensory. And so, if that means giving them a correction. All of a sudden they go, what happened to my neck? Then all of a sudden the dog's anxiety just calms down. And this is why corrections work in dog training. In general, right? In general, right? If my dog's barking at the other dog, I give him a correction and he stops. Well, because I'm interrupting that fight or flight mechanism where the dog goes, oh, okay, I guess I'm not as anxious anymore right now. Okay. So this is something that people don't talk about a lot on the internet and they don't, you don't see videos on it. And you don't see people because it's very easy to get out of hand.
1: Well, it's right? also very easy to take out of context because it's online. Truly. And I think uh, I want to take that one step further and say the reason why this works, the reason why sensory grounding works, at least in human beings. And like the way that you've kind of formulated that in your head, like the, mm-hmm. the whole capping versus like chasing, you know, which absolutely mm-hmm. I agree with. The mm-hmm. Here's something else that I, I've kind of formulated in my head that I apply to dogs. I didn't invent this wheel. It's just it's a human concept that I've applied to dogs. It's cognitive behavioral therapy. So like. Mm-hmm. Why then, other than disrupting that thought process, disrupting that moment of panic, why else does full on dog training work to help dogs Mm -hmm. relax in the crate? And what I mean is this, I absolutely agree with you. That was an earlier point you made, too, about like, don't don't kill yourself trying to correct every little thing. It's just not worth it. That's not and it's not fair, really, to the dog. If the dog's Mm -hmm. anxious in the crate, you have to be understanding to a degree. Like, yeah, we can talk about that. I get it. I'm sorry. Like, look, man, as long as you don't really freak out. All right. Wind out a little bit. Okay, fine. Maybe Mm -hmm. over time you can start knocking it down. I agree with that too. Like you start with the big stuff and then walk backwards from there. 100%. Yeah. But my big thing is training. Other than just correcting the dog, work on actual commands in there. And here's why. In cognitive behavioral therapy what the way that it goes is you have your thoughts and your feelings and your actions and you think of like this triangle and you can be influenced by any two of these three things at at once but one of them is dominating the other one so mm-hmm. for example let's say your thoughts are dominating your feelings an example of that would be you know i think i've mentioned this before but it's like i hate traffic so mm-hmm. I have my motorcycle in LA. I would lane split and parking and all that was a breeze. And before I got my bike, I would be sitting in traffic in my truck, just pissed for no reason. It's obviously illogical, but my mm-hmm. thoughts were being overrun by my feelings. So I'm thinking mean things. I'm like getting upset. So, <laughs> yeah. but, but I got my bike, so I don't deal with that anymore. I lane split. It's all good. No more traffic. I'm home quick. But for whatever dumb reason, I would get home and like make myself upset. I like after avoiding all this traffic, I would still get home and watch videos of like things that would that would make me mad, like, like, uh, you know, car crashing in a biker like something that would piss me off as a, as a motorcycle, driver, <laughs> which makes yeah, no sense. Like... And, I, and I totally understand that it was a stupid thing to do. But right. that's where my head was at the time. And then the inverse of that when I was learning about cognitive behavioral therapy was, instead of letting your, you know, your like, thoughts kind of drag your feelings into a negative place why don't you drag them into a positive place how about you get home being annoyed about traffic and go for a run make yourself feel better but what you the point of that was thoughts feelings actions what you do or what you think can influence how you feel and so since you can't necessarily always like directly just influence a dog's feelings like hey you be calm Mm -hmm. what you can do is influence what they do so yeah you know and and so if a dog is in there whining it out and panting and, and like you said trying to bend their way out hurting themselves what I can do is, hey, nope, down. And so yeah. that dog is their tantrum is interrupted because I've still given that correction. Right. But also, I'm like, you know what you need to do is lay down and stop moving. And I know you know how to do that. You can mm-hmm. be, you mm-hmm. can be nervous. You they may still be in the down position, her, 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 but mm-hmm. you're gonna be down. Right. And from there, you start creating some sort of grounding to where the dog knows, like, oh, whoops, I, let me lay down right here. And and so right. because of that, it's really hard for the brain for the thoughts and the feelings to keep running at a thousand miles an hour when the physical element is like 12 or 13 because they're just chilling laying still yeah and so naturally the body finds that balance and they come to a happy medium which is why cognitive behavioral therapy works in human beings and that's kind of how i approach it with dogs that's why i say actual obedience in the crate is hugely important don't just correct the dog correct them and then direct them you know like no down no like you know give them a command right A hundred percent.
0: And I would say for dogs who are extremely anxious, who have that type of, I think obedience foundation is probably uh, the most effective and efficient way to get that dog used to the crate. Mm -hmm. And we're dealing with puppies who don't necessarily have very strong conditioned, uh, you know, opposition to the crate, something as simple as just capping the tantrums can be really really helpful. Now, again, in a perfect world, we exercise the dog and we put him in the crate with a tasty chew toy, but what I've noticed, and you guys might have noticed this as well, sometimes the dog doesn't give a shit about that chew toy if they're throwing a tantrum. Right. Right. And I've had clients that they go, you know, I've put the I put the his tastiest bone in there, I put his favorite toy in there, he doesn't give two shits. All he's doing is whining and looking at me with puppy eyes. And so what we can start doing is whatever the extreme emotional tantrum or physical tantrum that the dog is throwing, we can put a cap on it. Mm-hmm. And what we start seeing is as the dog relaxes, literally I've had clients in 45 seconds, they say, hey, cut it out. They clap their hands or they give the dog a correction or they tap the side of the crate. The dog goes, oh, sorry, okay, I'll snap out of it. And then they go start chewing their bone, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So so some, this isn't necessarily a, uh, a method that you have to use every time the dog's in the crate, but if you do it once, twice, three times, You're going to see that your dog learns to relax and your dog actually learns to decompress naturally because they understand that the tantrum doesn't happen in crates.
1: Absolutely. And I think that, I think that, that the thing that I, that, you know, we really want people to take away from this is the dogs are smart. Dogs evolve. Dogs are great. That's one of the best things about them is just how, how flexible they are. Mm -hmm. And when they understand that the, like the absolute extreme end of a tantrum is just not an option. They look for another way. That's mm-hmm. how this all works, right? Mm-hmm. You take away a behavior and you replace it with something else. You give a, a chew toy, you give a command, you give them something to latch onto because I have seen people correct dogs and offer nothing in return. And so the dogs mm-hmm. are still there stuck. Like maybe now they're afraid to touch the crate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked about learned helplessness and all that in the past and why that's bad. And, you know, the dog are sitting there still panting, still drooling up a storm and I'm like, man, you should you should really do more. I, I'm not against correcting mm-hmm. the dog for being bad, but but give something with it, you know. So you're mm-hmm. absolutely right, like you were talking about, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I just want to make sure people keep that in mind. Right. Don't go nuts with correcting each and every little thing. Cap things where it's appropriate and realistic to do so. Walk yep. your way down so that the dog gets calmer over time. But give them something—a command, a chew toy, mm-hmm. a, something as easy as any of those things. Um, mm-hmm. Also, again, like. I would say my fourth and final tip before you start cracking down puppy or like high anxiety, older dog mm-hmm. run through the basic checklist first, take them outside to go potty, you know, maybe get them a little drink mm-hmm. of water, like do the simple stuff, exercise, them. exercise them. Yeah. If it's realistic, you know, cause again, if it's like yeah. the middle of the night or whatever, you know, at least get them yeah, out yeah. to go potty. You know what I mean? Good so, point. so, and if it's realistic, yeah, exercise them. If they're if they're excitable, do some stuff with them, you know. But right. if not, like just make sure that everything else is taken care of, and that the puppy's not trying to do the right thing by warning you, like, "Mom, I got I gotta go," you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then if that's the case, then you start stepping up with your corrections and make sure that your training around corrections and around the crate are on par. And I mm-hmm. think that that you'll be long in a way you know, you'll be, you'll be on the road to success at that point. Right. And also remember,
0: we're not correcting the dog for being in the crate. We're correcting the dog for behavior that is happening while he's in the crate.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. So we're not trying to make it a negative. Okay, cool. So, uh, hopefully, so that's the biggest obstacle. That's why we spent 15 minutes explaining that guys. Um, if you guys, if you guys have any questions about it, please reach out to us. Um, if it makes sense to you, then just again, uh, try that capping the tantrum approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that'll be very, very helpful um, because it has very quick results v- right away. Okay, um, Mariano, let me ask you this question. Yeah, have you ever met a dog that, on purpose, poops and pees in the crate just because they, you know, that they'll you'll take them out? Yes. Yep. Totally have. Yeah. Totally, totally have. So um, now sometimes most the majority of accidents are happening simply because we missed a window. Correct. Right. And so we kind of know what those solutions are. The person didn't confirm that the dog pooped and peed. Uh, the, maybe the person doesn't have a, a, an idea of when the dog has to poop and pee. A majority of accidents in the crate are actually pee accidents, which means the dog's drinking too much water. So we have these really simple solutions to this problem. But on every so often, there is a dog who learns, I am not going to go outside, and then I'm going to poop in my crate, and then I'm going to go back in the crate. Right. And then, or sorry, I'm going to poop in the crate and you're going to take me out of the crate. And that's just how this works. Right. right? Um, and so my little recommendation for that is if we see that this is the case and the dog is holding it, what I'll do is I'll usually walk and work that dog until I know that they have to poop Mm -hmm. to make sure that they go in the crate, because here's the thing, there's always going to be an argument amongst trainers, whether the dog is doing it on purpose or the dog is doing it based just, it's just a coincidence, right? Either way, the solution will be kind of the same. However, I have I I've truly feel I've met dogs who know I'm gonna pee in here. You're gonna take me out. I'm gonna pee in here. You're gonna take me out. Now, how that gets developed, there's a bunch of different ways that we don't have enough time to talk about in this scenario. Um, but is there any advice you'd give for dogs who have accidents in the crate? How can and remember the the context we're talking about is if the dogs are having accidents and this is what's deterring the owners from actually doing crate training, right? What are some tips? What's the checklist we want to go through to make sure that that we can
1: troubleshoot this? Yeah, make sure they understand the owner, the importance of simple consistency. This, I think, is where a lot of people get stuck because we've talked about this before and, and it's kind of by the wayside, but it does tie in. So I'm just going to touch on it briefly and then get right back to the point. Yeah, Owners, a lot of times, have the habit of assuming what the trainer is going to say. And if if their assumption isn't what they think they want to hear, they'll avoid it altogether. So, an example being that that's directly related to this. I know a dog I'm thinking of like three dogs in particular. I know that they were doing it on purpose because each and every time they went in the crate was literally immediately after having just been out mm-hmm. like imme- I haven't even left the room yet from recreating them mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they they sit there and and they like take a shit, and I'm like, okay, so. Mm-hmm. You know, poor dog probably sucks when they find out that I'm throwing them in another crate while I clean it. So like, they're not even, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, then, and then stuff them back in the original crate, you know, when right. it's clean. Um, mm-hmm. But when owners have a hard time, either because they're like grossed out by the poop, or they just feel like the dog, even if they understand that the dog's doing it to be a brat, they feel like, why is the dog acting out? Does he not like his crate? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really help them understand, like, listen, are you afraid that I'm going to tell you to like correct the hell out of him? Because I'm not, you know? Yeah. Yeah, t- Take him out, clean that shit up and put him back in there. And there you go. Suck it, dog. Like you're going to you're going to sit in the crate like, you <laughs> Suck know, it. And, and like and if anything, if anything, just make sure he goes next time, you know, get him out right. for a little bit longer next time. Try right. that. Try, you know, exercise move him, move. Yeah, around, play exactly. With them. And here's a here's a different scenario. This dog was purposely pooping in the crate, but not out of spite. This was a dog who I was boarding um, in L.A. actually when I was living in Westlake and I was doing some training with him before having boarded. And he was a Belgian Malinois, and he was so uh, so nervous about everything that the mom mm. would walk him all the time. She was like, He will, he refuses to poop and pee mm-hmm. out, out and about. Right. But she had a backyard, so he would go in the backyard. Yeah. I lived yeah. in an apartment, so I would walk him nonstop. He just wouldn't go. And then eventually, right. like two days later, he explodes in his crate, and I'm like, Well, damn. So again, I got him out, clean him, so on, so on. But I, what I did with him too was the same thing. I would, walk him like nobody's business trying to trying to basically kickstart his body to where you have no choice like you're gonna have to go you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and eventually he went he had like two accidents in the crate after cameling it for like days at a time mind you which i Mm -hmm. didn't want him to do of course Mm -hmm. um but eventually he did start going outside he let it go he had no choice like if we're all right fine i'm gonna take your ass for like a five mile run like you're Mm -hmm, going to go mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he finally goes at which point we turn around and head home and i crate him and and because he was created, I noticed, or because he had gone this time, rather, he wasn't like, you know, he wasn't having to go really bad. His mm-hmm. overall anxiety was a little lower and all that stuff too. But sometimes mm-hmm. you got to give him that kickstart. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And also what I would add to that is I, th- I think anxiety, insecurity, or just over distraction, the dog being distracted, this j- I, this is what prevents dogs sometimes from going to the bathroom. Yep. Right? Like I always remember being a kid at recess where like I'd play all day at recess And then uh, the bell would ring to go back to class. And then five minutes into being class into class, I would ask the teacher if I could go to the bathroom and she would yell at me all the time. I remember Miss Marquez at Parkside Elementary School in San Bernardino. Like I remember she's still teaching till this day, like 40 years. But I remember she used to like be so mad at me that I wouldn't go. And she'd be like, why didn't you go during recess? And I go, because I forgot. Right. And so I always have to have a little bit of compassion for some dogs who might be pooping in the crate because that was me, man. Um, And so a a couple of things that I would recommend for trainers um, troubleshooting this problem. Um, Sometimes the walk, in my experience, can sometimes help trigger like the dog's bowel movements, but also sometimes the distractions that come across on the walk prevent the dog from feeling comfortable to go or that are grounded enough to actually let loose. Right. And so sometimes what I like to do is I'll do a lot of exercise and then I'll hang out in one spot for a long period of time, a place that's really low and low, like very quiet, not very, uh, not lots of distractions. And I will give the dog that opportunity. And sometimes I've waited 20 minutes, 30 minutes, because I know that dog has to go around this window of the day. And I know if I put that dog in the crate, oh man, He's probably going to try and go as soon as he quote unquote feels comfortable.
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay. So that's, and that's also the same thing that happens when dogs poop in the house, right? right? So we might, we might have to see that. So, uh, we all know some of the simple solutions for accidents, clean it up, put them back in. Um, you know, there was other things that we mentioned right in the beginning of this segment, um, but this is when it gets really difficult, really tough. If you have those dogs who you feel are doing it on purpose, this is what me and Mariano recommend.
1: See, and that's exactly why I make it a point to say, and, and I've been saying, it, and I don't mean to beat the dead horse, but I, I just, because you highlight exactly why I'm going to say it one more time. Mm-hmm. Crate training matters with overall training, with an overall obedience program. And for a reason, just like that, if the dog is overall distracted, they could be a puppy or a high anxiety dog, whatever the reason they don't want to go outside, um, including these dogs i was telling you about i was trying to offset for that by leaving them outside for a very long time and like Mm -hmm. without the other dogs and you know so so like i was even systematically like all right i'm gonna put him with other dogs for like 10 minutes to let him play and he has to go then i'm gonna put them all away but not him so that now he's not Mm -hmm. playing and and Mm -hmm. see if he goes um but in any case if the dog's too distracted if the dog's too nervous if the dog's too whatever in all of those circumstances having a strong foundation in obedience will help you. You can pull the dog off of the yeah. distraction. You can keep the dog focused and otherwise somewhat calm and, and grounded and yeah. grounded under duress. And so that's why I just cannot stress it enough. Training overall training. Don't just create your dog. And, and when mm-hmm. you talked earlier about, you don't want the crate itself to become a negative connotation. That's also mm-hmm. why I ask for obedience within the crate. It's not being right. in here. That's bad. It's when it's when you're not, in laying down it's when you're not like whatever whatever you know so i'm compartmentalizing you can be in there you can do whatever like oh that's fine but when you go here the response to that is go there instead bark 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 bark. no down and they go oh you're right Mm -hmm. sorry down and you know Mm -hmm. and so they start to learn things and it cuts to the point to where i i like social pressure them even on accident i'll walk in the room and they go oh look and they like lay down in the crate and i'm like there you go like you know just relax Mm -hmm. chill out lay down and so I I want them to start conditioning themselves into good habits because when we talk about avoiding escalation, I avoid that escalation from the jump. If the dog doesn't even get up, you know what I'm (laughs) saying? Like, so yeah, yeah.
0: no, I agree. I agree. Uh, let me ask you this question because I think this is, this is something, um, uh, uh, does it have to be a crate? No, no. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I think it doesn't always have to be a crate that we're using. Um, And I think sometimes crates are the easiest. Sometimes crates are collapsible. Sometimes crates are certain things. But when we kind of look at the big picture of, of just shifting and changing behavior, any form of isolation has potential of working just as great. However, the crate is probably the, the option that limits the dog's uh, mobility enough to be able to learn to relax quicker. Correct. Right. So I would say if a dog has like a bigger room, well, that's more room for him to figure out how to escape, <laughs> you know, or th- there's more things in that room for the dog to, you know, have a tantrum and destroy. Right. Versus if a dog's in a crate, it's just more of a isolated uh, area that doesn't, like it doesn't kind of lend itself to potential, uh, you know, yeah, for- bad, bad expressions of stress. Right. Shenanigans. Shenan- shenanigans. That's the word. That's the word. Um, now, we obviously all know the, the, the concept of den animals, right? What denning is, right? So one thing I always like to talk to my clients about is that dens are like your room, right? Um, and so like think of our bedrooms when we were kids. That's where we kept our toys. That's where we took a nap or, or went to sleep. Um, that's where we would go to focus on things. Like I would be sent to my room to do my homework all the time. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we need to send our dogs to their room to chew on their bones. And quote unquote, that's their homework, right? Your your homework right now in this training protocol is to nap or chew on your bone or to relax or, you know, whatever it is. But that crate in and of itself kind of becomes very reminiscent of our bedrooms as kids. Now I was I lived in a family where we didn't eat at the dinner table. So I would always eat in my room also. Mm-hmm. So that's just one extra parallel that I've, that I've drawn to my room. Um, but yeah, so that's crate. That's, Dude. that's during the crate. Yeah. yeah what's up?
1: You're saying that as, as McKenna has some like delicious looking chicken right here to my left and I'm like, Oh, I'm eat in my room. No, but, but uh, <laughs> I, I will add this caveat to it though. Like absolutely. It does not have to be a crate. I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still think that even if the dog isn't in a crate, like at home, mm-hmm. um, I still think crate training is a valuable skill set for like, if you travel, if you're in a hotel, if for whatever, you know, if X, Y, Z, whatever excuse, I I think crate training is something that every dog should know, but no, when you're home and everything is normal and on the up and up, I think a laundry room, something like that is totally viable. I, I, I have no problem with that at all. Love that. Love that.
0: All right, man. Well, let's get into, let's say we've been able to troubleshoot some issues. We've been able to talk, sorry. First of all, we've been able to talk some clients into understanding crates a little bit better and getting them on board. Second, during crate training, any issues that have been coming uh, we've been able to kind of troubleshoot the biggest of which have been whining and anxiety uh, or having accidents in the crate. Um, and then we had one more on the list, which was just fear of entering the crate. That's easily done with some treat treat work, uh, making sure you feed the dog in the crate, making sure you give your dog bones in the crate, making sure your dog has a positive reason to enter the crate. That's pretty self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. Uh, dog trainers definitely know th- those tactics. Uh, but let's jump into the after uh, after crate training has started, right? Like after we've gone through all the troubleshooting and actually we're finally getting kind of the the ball rolling and we're in there. Uh, what are some points that that you want to talk about? Mario?
1: Well, the big thing that I want to talk about is the big thing we wanted to talk about with the aggressive dog episode, which was making sure that the owners keep up with the training because yeah. dogs can make amazing progress. And then the owner's They felt bad in the beginning, they're gonna feel bad in the end. The you know, the only difference is it's our job to give them the insight and the understanding as to why it's good for the dog. Mm -hmm. You know, so Mm -hmm. I so I think that it's important as trainers that we really make sure to express like just how much progress, just how much calmer, how much better, how much safer, how much you know, your dog's Mm -hmm. gonna be if you keep up with your crate and/or confinement training, if it's like a laundry room or whatever the case. Mm -hmm. And you know, why it's important for the dog's development over time Mm -hmm. that you, you keep this consistent. Right. Right. And, and I think, I mean, the, the hardest hurdle is getting them to buy
0: into it and getting them to survive the troubleshooting phase, right? That, that is the hardest hurdle. Once we get there, naturally, it's going to be pretty obvious for owners, A, my dog likes the crate. My dog relaxes in the crate. My dog actually goes into his crate on command once we've developed that, right? So once the dogs, once the owner starts seeing that the dogs enjoy it, now we're going to start seeing that they start seeing all of the benefits for their own lives. I know my dog's safe. I know my dog's not going to get into something i know my dog's not going to poop in his crate i know my dog you know i'm going to buy myself more time throughout the day where i can do my own thing my dog's not going to annoy me at this certain hour of the day uh, with the zoomie you know like there's all these different scenarios where where the the results will speak for themselves right once we get past the getting them to buy into it and once we get past the troubleshooting phase
1: of the crating that. And once we get, um, once we get into seeing the real full yeah. benefit of the crate. So like, yes. you know, cause everybody gets it like on a basic, okay, so my dog's put away, like, I know he's not going to like blah, 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 blah. But mm-hmm. I think a big problem that trainers face is clients, you know, I've seen this before. I've met a lot of dog trainers. I've been to a lot of kennels and, you know, mm-hmm. trainers will explain something to a client and kind of go off on a tangent. That's not, not beside the point. It's It's on point. It's just, it may not be their dog. And the owners mm-hmm. kind of start to space out. They, they put a polite smile and they're like, oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they're like, my dog doesn't chew anyway. So like, whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. So when they see the real benefit as it applies to them, and I think of things like, you know, if it's a puppy, you stop the tantrums, which not only means your puppy's not whining and driving you insane, but they're not chewing, they're not peeing. And they're also not not chewing on things they shouldn't be chewing on, you know, not peeing in the house, right. but they're also not going to develop like long-term and unhealthy, Anxieties. correct. Yeah. But now I think of the other side. I think of, high risk dogs aggressive dogs whatever else the crate is also just a great management tool in general you will have people coming to the house and you're afraid that that he's gonna bite somebody crate him you mm-hmm. know put your collar on him crate him and put him in a downstate like we talked about if they yeah. walk in the house and he gets up no nope, down and you know and jump on it it's it's right. something that can give you your freedom back if right. you're if you're nervous about your dog even if they're the sweetest dog in the world but you've got your toddler crawling around and the dog is 120 pounds can step on him Mm -hmm. you you have your freedoms back. You know, you, Mm -hmm. you start making it work for you in a way that I think like people get it in their head, but they don't really feel the full benefit of it until they've had time to soak it in.
0: Right. Right. And I think that was a good point. When you have children, if you have a dog with aggression, uh, how do we socialize them when groups of people come over, like the crate after it's developed has so many benefits in just the overall training process, especially when we're dealing with behavior mod, you know, for sure. Um, it's, it's really, really important. And I think anytime that we lay out a training plan for a client, it's really important for them to know how crucial the crate is for the longevity and the long-term success of that
1: training system. Absolutely. In fact, I think I found a way to phrase it and it's in a question, but, but let's make no mistake about this. Okay. So you and I Mm -hmm. have talked about this before the Mm -hmm. elements of dog training, right? The behavioral, the routine, the obedience, the socialization and the, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and it was the, um, Relationship. Sorry, I might be forgetting relationship development. Okay. Relationship development. development. Okay. I was right. So Mm -hmm. are there any one of those five segments of dog training that aren't directly influenced by solid crate training? Not at all. Not
0: at all. I, I would say this, like I always tell people to that point about the relationship development. Um, I always tell people, I said, the reason dog trainers can get dogs to develop a balanced relationship from the get go with your dog is because, Anytime your dog is with the trainer, they are asking productive things and teaching productive lessons with the dog, right? right. So at, usually at a dog training facility or if you guys do board and trains, your dog's not, that dog is not necessarily having the same freedoms as your own personal dog, right? That dog is is only with you when you're teaching them, when you're structuring them. So it's easy for that dog to learn the ins and outs of that trainer and how to please them because they're not just casually... You know hanging out in the other room doing something that they shouldn't be doing right right and so we don't necessarily as trainers we don't have to really tell dogs no that often right we don't have to say cut that out don't do that just do that you know um in, in the sense of like they're not doing anything that really pisses us off now obviously when we're changing behaviors yeah we modify we take cut that out or we mark no or off whatever but in essence the reason dog trainers <laughs> remember we always talk about this in every episode the biggest complaint we get as dog trainers is that the dog is always better when you're around right and the reason that is is because we are able to control the dog's access to us and therefore mm-hmm. create a better relationship with the dog the, the what our, our dogs associate us with structure and respect and love and playfulness because that's all we've shown them to be and so when i have clients who have unhealthy relationships with their dogs this is definitely part of post-training fixing that relationship with them
1: a hundred percent
0: guys we want to ask you just one quick favor right now while you guys are listening to this please Share this. Just share this. If you feel that this podcast has added value to you or you've learned something new, please share this with one other person. I don't care who it is. It could be your mom, your dad. It could be another trainer friend that you have. It could be a client that maybe you had trouble explaining this to that you feel that they might take some really good value from this episode of the podcast. Um, Just go ahead and share it, guys, because it really, really just help us Help other people as much as, as as we can because, you know, we we, we really want to help as many dogs as we can get better. We do have a very, very special guest next week. You guys may have heard of him. He is has the coolest dog training YouTube channel in the world, and he is also known as America's Canine Educator. If you guys haven't guessed who it is already, it is our boy Tommy Davis um, with Upstate Canine Academy in New York check out our episode next week. It's going to be a killer conversation with our friend, Tommy Davis. All right, guys. We really look forward to catching you guys in episode 26 uh, with Tommy Davis. We'll see you guys then. Peace.
1: Thank you for listening to the Dog Trainers Podcast, a podcast created by dog trainers, for dog trainers, or anyone who's ever fallen in love with man's best friend.
0: We really hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we hope to see you back for the next one. But in the meantime, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Dog Trainers Podcast. Go ahead and leave a comment. Ask us any questions that you want. We would love to connect with our dog trainer communities all around the world. Take care, guys. We'll see you next time.